Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Inspired with Megan Alexander. Hey friends, Megan here. So glad you're joining me. Today we're coming to you from New York City, and my guest today is Yvette Corporan. Now she is the author of a brand new book, Something Beautiful Happened, a story of survival and courage in the face of evil. 70 years after her grandmother helped hide a Jewish family on a Greek island during World War II, Yvette set out to track down her descendants and wrote about her incredible and shocking discovery. Yvette is a three-time Emmy Award-winning writer, author, and producer. Her debut novel, When the Cypress Whispers, came out in 2014 and has been translated into 14 languages and was an international bestseller. She received the Cerulean Award for Excellence in Journalism and the New York City Council and Comptroller's Award for Greek Heritage and Culture. She lives in New York with her husband and two beautiful children. So glad to have you here, friend. Thank you. So good to be here, friend. Uh, wow, that's quite an introduction. That Thank is you. quite a bio, a lot to unpack. I just got to say, folks, this book, Something Beautiful Happened, it is one of those that you need to read. Give yourself time and bring your Kleenex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> bring your Kleenex indeed. This is a personal, powerful journey for you. And I got to tell you, Yvette, I'm so jealous in a good way. I mean, you really got to find out where you come from. Yeah. who your relatives and ancestors are, your heritage, your history, and what a powerful and beautiful story it is. This is a personal journey for you. Talk about how it started. It's Thank you for saying that. And, you know, cue the Kleenex because I'm going to start already. Um, it's, it was very <laughs> much a personal journey. And, you know, I knew that my family had deep roots in Greece, but I didn't really know much more than that. You know, I'm a journalist. I tell people stories for a living. That's what I do, just like you. And as I started to dig more into my family's background, you know, I grew up listening to my grandmother's story. My grandmother lived with our in our house after my grandfather passed away. And it was like, oh, Yaya loves you, Yaya's grandmother in Greek. She'd be like, oh, Yaya loves you so much. Pass the feta, we saved the Jews. I'm like, what? You know, like it was such a nonchalant thing. She lived on a tiny Greek island during World War II. My grandfather left, as many of the men did, went to America to make money and save and bring the family over. And it was during the German occupation of Greece. So at the time, there was a Jewish family. The man was actually, his name was Savas, and he was a tailor for my family. So he lived on the main island of Corfu with three of his daughters. And when the Nazis rounded up all the Jews and sent them to Auschwitz, my grandmother was one of a group of islanders who hid and saved Savas, this man, and his family from the Nazis. I mean, she risked her life. She was illiterate. She was, she basically was born and raised just to do nothing more than to have her family, to cook and clean. And she stood up and did this incredibly heroic thing. And when I started thinking about my grandmother's story, I started digging deeper and deeper, and I felt this obligation to find out more and to find this family and to tell my grandmother's story. You know, you open the book also by 
sharing that that generation, our Mm. grandparents, you just mentioned she would quickly say something and then pass the bread. Just a comment. Oh, a little bit in our history here. We helped save the Jewish people. Can you pass the silverware? That generation didn't talk as much about the past, did they? And, And you share something that the survivors were cautioned, never speak of the past never look back. But I want to make sure uh, folks understand, because this was a shock to me. I felt like I knew about the Holocaust, and I felt like I knew my history, but I realized I I learned about Germany and Poland and other parts of the world, not about Greece. Yeah. And 65,000 Greek Jews were murdered, a community 85% exterminated, and they have been largely forgotten because survivors were cautioned not to talk of the past. How did you begin to unravel this? Was it, how did you get your grandmother to talk, I guess? So my grandmother had no trouble talking. Like me, she had a very big mouth. It's something I definitely inherited from her, as you can see. (laughs) You know, that's what I say about this story is that my grandmother was one of many. She was one of a group of islanders. So I want to be very clear about that. It wasn't that it was just my grandmother who helped right. ride this family. It was an entire island community. Every single, this is a very tiny island off the coast of Corfu, which is the main island. It's northwestern Greece. There are only about 200 people on this island. There was a group of people, there were maybe about 20 of them, a core of 20 people, maybe a fewer, who really risked their lives to save and bring this Jewish family into their homes. My grandmother was one of them. Mm -hmm. So I grew up hearing this story in passing like it was no big deal. It wasn't until I became a mother myself that I really stopped to take the time to think. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I have my two children who I love I would give my life for, but would I risk their lives to save another woman's child? And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what my grandmother did Mm -hmm. and everyone else on this island did. And only when I put it in that context of what would I do? My grandmother, you know, it was during the war. People were starving. Hundreds of thousands of people starved all across Greece. And yet every day, my grandmother would take food from her own children's mouths, put it aside so these Jewish girls had food to eat when they came to visit her at night. Mm-hmm. So it was only when I put it in the context of, as a mother, would I risk my children for someone else's child that I really stopped to think about what my grandmother did and how heroic and extraordinary it was. And that's when I started digging around. I initially just started asking family members, what do you remember? What do you know? And then I didn't get very far. And then I started knocking on doors. I went to Corfu. I would go every summer. And I knocked on the doors in the Jewish quarter saying, do you guys ever, do you remember the family of Savas Israel? Did you hear about the story of the family that was saved on the little tiny islands of Iniquisa? And I kept coming up with dead ends. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And it was only until I reached out to the Holocaust Museum in Israel that I really started, the story gained legs. We really started digging and we gained some traction and we found family members. Mm -hmm. Talk about the fact that when the Nazis came to Greece, came to the Greek islands, it happened very quickly and you had to make a decision in terms of, are you going to turn against the Jewish people to save yourself because people were so terrified of the Nazis or are you going to make a decision to help your, your neighbors? Right. It happened very quickly and it happened, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people did not stand up and do what they knew in their heart to be right because there was fear, Mm -hmm. you know, and how can we looking back judge anyone? But I will say this, you know, there were many people, the Nazis basically told everyone all across Greece, if you hide and save a Jew, if we find that you are helping a Jew, it's as bad as being a Jew and we will murder you. Not only will we murder you, we will murder your entire family. 
And when it came to our little island of Iniquisa, they told everyone on the island, if you are found hiding, helping, or doing anything to assist a Jewish family, we will murder you, your family, and we'll burn down this island. Mm-hmm. And despite that, people on Iniquisa still stood up and did what they knew in their heart was to be right. Unfortunately, across Greece and across Corfu, others did not. Again, was it steeped in anti-Semitism? Was it steeped in fear? Was it steeped in self-preservation? We'll never know. Mm-hmm. But so many people did not have the strength to stand up and do what was right in the face of evil. And the fact that this entire island community did do just that, risk themselves and their families to save a Jewish family, is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. As you began digging and researching, what surprised you the most in your findings? What surprised me the most is that no one on my grandmother's island, no one in that community realized just how extraordinary what happened there was. I mean, some say it was a miracle that no one died. Everyone was saved. You know, I studied as a journalism student. I went and I spent a summer studying in Israel and I went to Yad Vashem. I went to the Holocaust Museum as a 20-year-old college student. And in the Holocaust Museum in Israel, there's the Garden of the Righteous, where trees are planted to honor people who stood up and risked themselves to save Jewish families during the Holocaust. And I walked through this garden you know, and there's, of course, the beautiful tree of Schindler. It's there. And that's one, of course, you know, the, one of the ones that we know the most, one of the most famous. But you walk through and there's plaques with hundreds of names of people who stood up and risked themselves to save Jewish families. And not once in walking through that garden, not once in walking through the Holocaust Museum, did I put two and two together. Did I remember and realize my grandmother's story? Mm. And it was only after I became a mother, as I said, that I put it in that context. And I was like, wait a minute. These people are honored. These people are, there are trees planted in their names. There's, their names are etched in plaques. They're being remembered and revered. I'm like, what my grandmother did was just as extraordinary. And it was only at that point that I put it all in context as to how amazing what happened on that island was. Mm-hmm. You write in the book about the fact that young children had to change their names yes. in order to be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also made it difficult when it came time for research because uh, one of the little boys was three years old when his yeah. name was changed. Talk a bit yeah. about that. So I, you know, in the course of writing this book and sort of digging into my family story and history, I was able to meet several survivors of the Holocaust in Corfu and interview them and chat with them and hear about their personal stories. And one of them was a man named Daniel Seuss, who was three years old. And Daniel... I mean, the story is, it's beautiful and tragic at the same time. So Daniel's family had a friend, a Greek Christian, who risked, again, his own life to take Daniel and his sister and hide them away in his own family's villa. And Daniel, of course, is a Jewish name. And he sat down and he told Daniel, he said, look, from now on, I'm going to call you Nikos. Your name is Nikos. And Daniel was like, why would you call me Nikos? My name is Daniel. And the rescuer said, because if the Germans hear me call you Daniel, they'll know you're Jewish and they'll take you away from us. So at three years old, Daniel knew the consequences of being known by his Jewish name. And from that moment on, he was known as Nikos and he would answer to Nikos and he and his sister were saved. His mother, unfortunately, the story takes a far more tragic turn. She was hiding in the apartment with Daniel's baby sister and they had boarded up the door. And she was hiding. And so when the Germans went door to door searching, they passed her by. And the Daniel's rescuer was supposed to go back on a given day and time to bring Daniel's mother and the baby sister to safety. The day that he went to find them, to actually bring her to safety, the Germans were going door to door and they passed by the apartment and she should have been saved. 
But a Christian woman across the way stuck her head out the window and saw the commotion and said, what's going on here? And the Nazis answered, we're searching for Jews. And she said, well, what do you mean you're searching for Jews? There's one in the house that you just passed. She's on the second floor upstairs. And they went back, they knocked down the door, and they dragged her and the baby out, never to be seen again. Mm. So it's while there were so many heroic people who risked everything to save their Jewish friends, there were also those who, Lord knows for what reason, why would you turn in a woman and her child? Why? Mm -hmm. I can't understand it. That's something you and I will never understand. But it happened. It happened every day. Mm -hmm. Gosh, you were then able to reconnect with a lot of these people or connect for the first time, I should say, uh, because of technology. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. So as I was searching for this family, I searched databases, I Googled, you know, I was like, I I did everything I possibly could. And then one day, with the help of the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, I got the name of a man that one of the women, one of the girls that my grandmother saved, guy that she married. I took that name and I plugged it into the database of myheritage.com, which is an ancestry website. It's a family tree website. And, you know, this incredible database of millions of records all around the world. So I typed in this name just as I had Googled dozens and dozens of times. And all of a sudden I look at my computer and it's literally like Sunday morning at seven o'clock in my pajamas. And this family tree pops up of all the names I'd been searching for. Savas and the girls and Rosa and Spera and Nina, which were the daughter's names. And I see this tree and I'm like, that's them. That's them. It turned out to be a false positive because while it was the family tree of the man that won the married, it was not the actual girls. But that then led me to more family members who helped me find them ultimately. It was a lot of piecing together, putting together puzzle pieces. It was. As you work your way through this book, there were disappointments for you where you yeah. thought, oh, I found somebody. But that conversation ended up being wonderful because you met one more person that had a story to share and was willing to talk about what happened. Exactly. And one of the one of the coolest moments, it was again, it was like geological detective work. You know, yeah. I did as much as I possibly could and I searched and searched and then I hit a dead end. But then when other people heard about my search, they became vested in the story as well. And they wanted to help me honor my mother and my grandmother in our island just as much as I did. And this website, My Heritage, are based in Israel and Gilad Yafet is the owner and CEO of the company, and he's just a genius. He heard about my search and how I kind of got a little bit of information, but not quite the home run by using my heritage. He then took it upon himself, and he wanted to help me find this family. So what he did was started searching through databases. Now, one of the women, her name was Spera, one of Savas's daughters. She was very close with my grandmother. And he reasoned, well, we knew that after the war, they left Greece. We thought they went to Israel. We weren't quite sure. So he started searching through databases and he said, he reasoned, he's like, well, the name Spera, no one in Israel uses the name Spera if she's here. The name Spera comes from the Spanish word Esperanza, which means hope. And again, this guy is a genius. So he said, well, hope. Hope in Hebrew is Tikva, which is a Hebrew woman's name. So he searched through every database that he could find for anyone named Tikva who emigrated to Israel after the war from Greece. He found several. The first one he found was on the street in Tel Aviv. Then he started searching for the other girls. One of them was a girl named Rosa, the youngest of the girls who was saved by my grandmother. So again, he searched every record of everyone who emigrated to Israel from Greece named Rosa. And he found one just down the street from where he found Tikva. And he reasoned, this must be them, because after everything that they lived through and experienced, when they finally got to safety in Israel, they probably wanted to live near one another. And it was them. Wow. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, just incredible, incredible. Was that a moment for you when you put all that together? I got the email saying, I hope you're sitting down when you read this. And I had just <laughs> left my daughter's like, you know, spring concert. And I was sitting in the car and, you know, my kids are in the back seat and they're talking and my husband and everyone's chatting and, uh, and my kids are fighting. And I see this email and like my knees started shaking and I was like, what, what is this? And I opened it. And it was just extraordinary. And the way he also confirmed it was them, he found Tikva's headstone. He found the cemetery where she was buried in Israel and listed on that stone was the name of her father, Savas Israel. And he knew that it was her. Wow. It's like Christmas morning. Oh, Every time you opened up an email or had another it was connection. Just, and, you know, the <laughs> fact that it, this was my personal story, my yes. personal journey, I, I, you know, I was not going to stop until I found them. But I couldn't have done it myself. And the fact that everyone who heard this story was so touched by it, was so moved by it, mm-hmm. both by the beauty of what everyone on that island risked to help this family, and also just the tragedy of this Jewish community of Corfu, that right. they were basically, they were decimated. There yeah. were 2,000 of them. 1,200 managed, about 150 managed to escape and were hidden by friends. 1,800 were sent to Auschwitz. Of those, 121 survived. And when they came back, those who survived, who lost everything and everyone, when they finally came back to their home, the homes were taken over. The homes were looted. There were people living in their homes as squatters. They had to go to court to get their homes back. They lost entire families. And then when they finally got there, no one believed them. No one could believe that they were in concentration camps and that everyone was murdered. And then when they finally you know, told people this really happened, everyone was murdered. The response was, well, forget about the past, move forward, forget about your husband, your children, your wives, marry each other and start fresh. Mm. And that was it. Gosh. Marry each other and start fresh. Yeah. Don't look back. You know, in different conversations on this podcast, we've talked about processing, Mm. going through things in life, processing your own story. That generation didn't have time to process. They didn't have time to process. They didn't have the tools to process. Yeah. And they were told not to process. Yeah, they were told not to. They were told not Just to process. Just move on. Move on. Don't look back. Forget about it. Wow. And so what happened with the girls that my grandmother saved, you know, we found Rosa and we found Tikva, who my grandmother knew as Spera. They moved to Israel after the war. But things got complicated. And the reason we couldn't find them is because they never talked about it. Mm-hmm. So when they got to Israel and they got to safety, they literally never looked back. They never told their children about where they were during the Holocaust, how they were saved. They never told their own children or their grandchildren about my grandmother and how an entire community risked their lives to save them. They never discussed it. Yeah. So you get all this together, Mm -hmm. piece all this together, but the story doesn't end here. No. You get all this information and then a tragedy strikes way close to home. Way too close to home. What happens? So, cue the Kleenex. So, here we are celebrating. We found the families of Rosa and Sparrow. We found them. I'm celebrating. We're crying. Couldn't believe it. We finally found them. And when I reached out to tell them, my grandmother's one who saved your grandmother, they had no idea what we're talking about. So, here we were celebrating this shared, beautiful history that we have and the fact that I was able to fill in the lost secrets of their family's history. Three days after I found the family my grandmother risked her life to save from the Nazis, there was a shooting in Kansas at a JCC in Overland Park right outside of Kansas City. An anti-Semitic white supremacist felt he was dying. They didn't have much longer to live. And so he wanted to know what it felt like to kill Jews before he died. 
and he murdered three people on Sunday, April 13th of 2014, and two out of the three were members of my family. So my 14-year-old nephew, sorry, and his grandfather were murdered by a neo-Nazi shouting Heil Hitler three days after I found the family my grandmother saved from the Nazis. Three days after three you had days. put all I this found together. Them, I found Sparrow's family on Thursday, April 10th, 2014. And on Sunday, April 13th, my nephew and his grandfather were murdered by a neo-Nazi in Kansas. Wow. Yep. And in those moments you go, why? Oh, I mean, you know, you can't wrap your head around it. The, I think the most, one of the most powerful moments was, and sort of what set this whole process and book and why I felt so compelled to write this book is because the night of the murders, uh, my son at the time was nine. And mind you, my children, my daughter was 12 at the time and my son was nine. They had experienced this whole thing with me. They experienced my search, the frustration, disappointment. And every time there was disappointment, I said, it doesn't matter if we can't find them. Look at what your family did. Look what your great grandmother did. She saved another family. She did the right thing. She stood up in the face of evil. Our family never lets hate have the last word. Yes. And this is what my children grew up with and then witnessed me finally finding them. Mm -hmm. In that context, you know, the mantra in my home was goodness won. We defeated the Nazis. The Nazis were gone and goodness overcame evil. My nephew is then murdered by a, a neo-Nazi in Kansas. How do you explain that to your children? So the night of the murders, I climbed into bed with my then nine-year-old son and he turned to me and he said, mom, I'm so sad. And I said, sweetheart, I know we're all so sad. And he goes, no, I don't understand, but I don't understand. You told me the Nazis were gone and the family survived. So how could they do this to read? How do you answer that? Yeah. How do you explain to a child something you can't understand yourself? Yeah. And your family was headed to the JCC, which stands for? Yeah, the Jewish Community Center. So Reet, who was 14 and a gifted, wonderful, he was on his way to be an Eagle Scout. He was on the debate team in high school, and he was a really, really incredibly talented singer. So he was going to the Jewish Community Center that day for a singing audition. Mm-hmm. It's the Kansas City Superstars, which is like the closest thing to American Idol in that area. Mm-hmm. And he had been waiting because you have to be 14 to audition. So he had been waiting years for this audition. Yeah. And it was finally the day. And he had prepared. He had sang. And before he left the house that day, um, Mindy, his mom, who I'm incredibly close with, she turned to him and said, OK, let's run through the songs one more time. So he ran through the first song he sang for her, which was, I believe, On the Street Where You Live. Mm. And she said, okay, that's wonderful, but what's the other song you have prepared? And he had another song prepared if they asked him to sing again. And that song is, You're Gonna Miss Me When I'm Gone. And so he sang, You're Gonna Miss Me When I'm Gone to his mom. And she said, I love you. And he said, I love you too. And he walked out the door and he never came home again. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I know. I told you to cue the Kleenex. (laughs) Seriously, seriously, folks, we warned you. And yet, once again, your family shows their strength. Yes. And rallies and says, once again, many generations later, we are not going to let hate win. And this foundation is born. Faith wins. Faith wins. Talk about that. So my cousin Mindy, who lost both her father and her son on that horrible day. I mean, imagine losing your son and your father. I I just, she is extraordinary. The night of the murders, she heard that there was a vigil that teens were gathering to try to make sense of it. 
And she knew that she had to go speak to these kids. So the night of the murders, the night of the most horrific tragedy you can imagine, she was thinking of others. And she went and she spoke at this vigil and she spoke to the teenagers and she said to them, we will find something good to come of this. We will always remember Reet and we will find a way to make sure that something positive comes from this horrific day. Mm-hmm. She, again, refused to let hate have the last word. Yeah. And so from that, she decided to launch a foundation called Faith Always Wins. And she has dedicated her life to promoting interfaith awareness. And do not call interfaith tolerance. She will not tolerate it because <laughs> tolerance has a negative undertone to it. And she wants people to learn and expand their minds and welcome people of all different faiths. And it's only through learning about each other that we can erase any stigma or any fear. And so she has launched Faith Always Wins to do that. And she also has an organization called Give Seven Days. And every year, the seven days surrounding the anniversary of the murders, there are seven days of events to promote acts of kindness and interfaith awareness. And Mm -hmm. um, she's extraordinary. She's just extraordinary. You know, I underlined on page 179, I thought this was absolutely profound as uh, you're talking about Mindy. Mm. So Mindy is being asked to speak at this mosque yes. after the, uh, a tragedy. And you write, she was a Christian woman drawn to the Jewish faith, and now Islam was calling to her as well. Little by little, Mindy's path and purpose were becoming clearer to her. God was saying, I need you to bring these people together. I need you to bring these faiths together. I need you to meet these people and have conversations with them, Christian, Jew, Muslim, and others. We need to band together because there is evil and we can't get rid of evil, but we can band together to fight it. How incredibly powerful that her story, her personal story, her heritage, she is now in this moment helping other faiths and bringing people together and bringing joy out of tragedy. That is incredible. She's extraordinary. She is extraordinary. And you will never find a woman more dedicated to her call. She, the day of the murders, she pulled her car into the Jewish community center, into the parking lot. And she saw her father lying on the ground. She was there immediately after the shootings. Mm -hmm. And as she ran towards her father, she heard a voice, which she says is the voice of God. She heard A voice say, as clear as day, speaking to her, saying, your father is dead. He is in heaven. Go find Reet. And since that day, she has heard the voice of God speaking to her, helping her, guiding her on this path. And she knew that something good had to come from this. She knew that she could never let hate have the last word, as I said. And she also knew that she refused to let her father and her son be known as victims of a hate crime. She needed to have their name stand for something else. Mm, Yes. This book is so incredibly powerful for so many reasons. Something beautiful happened when you think about all that we're talking about here. Yvette's family, she finds out in World War II, helps Jewish people survive when the Nazis come to Greece. Then many, many years later, I love, I should back up just a little bit. I love in the beginning of the story when Yvette says that as a young girl, as a young Greek girl, you used to wish you were Jewish because all your Jewish friends would go off to school. Yeah. And and now all these years later, you find out that really is your family. Totally. Completely. Well, you know, growing up, my grandmother, again, was she was, you know, from this little tiny island, incredibly provincial. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she made fish head soup. She made food that my friends couldn't pronounce. And she dressed in black and had the black babushka. 
And, you know, we were different. My other friends, their grandmothers were making their, like, you know, fluff and utter and Rice Krispie treats. And my grandmother was like, would you like a fish eyeball? You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's so incredible to to go through the story because, once again, many, many years ago, World War II, Christians help Jewish folks escape the Nazis. And then decades later, when tragedy strikes again to the same family, that family then has a moment where they are comforting Muslims yeah. who are going through a similar tragedy, and it's bringing all these faiths together. I mean, that is exactly what the Nazis didn't want to have happen, right? They wanted to break people apart, break families apart, kill joy in every possible way. And your family, through decades, is reaching out, and, and neighbors are continuing to help neighbors yeah. in every sense of the word. In every sense of the word. And I think that is that is the resounding theme. You cannot ever let that evil. You can't let the darkness overtake. There has to be a light mm-hmm. shining through the darkness and the light can and will get in mm-hmm. if you allow it to, if you find some way to let goodness overpower evil and it will, and it does. Yes. And our family is proof of that both back in the Holocaust increased and today in Kansas. Yeah. The end of the book here is you're chatting and continuing to talk to all of the people that you connect with. Daniel gave you an answer that I thought was also so powerful. He says, we must not forget what happened. We must not transmit hate. The children should not carry the weight of the sins of the fathers. I believe that all children are the same regardless of their race, religion, or color. And we all need to live in peace with one another. There's some shame, obviously, lots of shame for people whose ancestors were a part of the other side. Tons of it. And Daniel, you just mentioned Daniel, and he's extraordinary. So Daniel is the boy who was um, hidden by his friend's family. That three-year-old. A three-year-old who was hidden on Corfu, Mm -hmm. whose name was changed to Nico, so the Germans didn't know. So he grew up knowing that his life was saved by a Christian who risked his own life, and he lived in fear of the Germans. Well, guess what? Daniel grows up, and he marries a German woman. He marries a German woman. He marries a German woman. And a lot of people made comments. A lot of people made comments, and he had a very, very difficult time because other survivors, others in the community, would turn to him and say, well, how could you possibly marry a German woman after everything your family went through? The Germans Mm -hmm. killed your family. Mm -hmm. And again, the sins of the children should not... There are no sins of the children. It's You can't look back. You have to always start fresh. You have to move forward. So you can't condemn an entire nationality because of the acts of some. You have to look at each individual. Absolutely. And what a beautiful picture to see the two of them together. Yeah, exactly. Right? And isn't that what it's all about? That is what it's all about moving forward. I'm, Like I said, I'm so jealous that you were able to find out all this incredible, rich heritage and history of your ancestors. And to any of our listeners, do you want to do the same? I mean, Yvette and I were just talking before this podcast, and I was saying, I wish I had recorded some of the conversations I had with my grandfather, who served in the military in World War II. What advice would you give to anyone who also wants to find out about their family history and chat with relatives while they're still alive? I mean, I think it's so important, and I hope that that's what people take away from this book, because it doesn't have to be some big heroic story from World War II. It, it's, there's history in everyone's home. Yes. Everyone came from somewhere. and. There are incredible, extraordinary stories. I mean, your grandparents came from somewhere. Your grandparents had wonderful, full lives before they became your grandparents. And I think it's our obligation to record that family history. And it's never been easier. You know, everyone has an everyone has a phone. Everyone has a smartphone. It's hermetically sealed to our hands at all times, especially right. our kids, right? Don't leave home without it. 
turn that, you know, get off Snapchat, get off Facebook, <laughs> turn the video camera on. Unless you're connecting with a relative. Exactly. But, <laughs> but sit down and have yeah. a conversation. It doesn't have to be some big formal conversation. Have a chat. Yeah. Ask your grandparents where they came from. Ask your grandparents to tell you stories about their own childhood. Yeah. Where did they grow up? What was life like? Yeah. Where did they go to school? And then also, it's more than that as well, because there's history in all aspects of our home. So if you're fortunate enough to have your grandmother still with you, go in the kitchen, and have her make that old family recipe that you love so much. Turn your camera on, record her doing it. Mm. You write, every day we come closer to losing this generation and all of their memories. The clock is ticking ever so fast. We must get these stories down and have these conversations. It's so very true. And it's so important. And it really, it's not, look, I, you know, I dug and dug and I did this incredible research and had the help of so many different people. But that's our family story. Yeah. Thankfully, not everyone has to go through all of that to learn their family's history. What is your story? Talk to your family and find out what yours is. Exactly. Where can people get information on the book? So the book is sold at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can also go onto my website, evettecorporon.com. There you can get info on the book, links to purchase it, as well as all of my speaking engagements. You need to spell your name for the website. Okay. So <laughs> it's Yvette, Y-V-E-T-T-E-C-O-R-P-O-R-O-N.com. Oh, such a joy and a privilege to read this book. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. I should share that uh, when Yvette is not chasing down her heritage and ancestors and writing this epic book, she's chasing down celebrities. That's what I do. As a producer for Extra, <laughs> an entertainment news show. I can't let you go without asking you, gosh, what would you say is your most memorable interview of all time? Okay, so there have been many, thankfully, from the White House Rose Garden intimate conversation with President Obama to Roomba dancing with First Lady Michelle Obama in Miami with some adorable kids. But I have to say, I think the ultimate, most incredible experience of all was being in Venice with George Clooney for his wedding, being oh. on a boat, you know, being on a boat in the canals of Venice side by side as George Clooney's in the next boat. And we're in this like, you know, like this convoy of boats going where he's going to get married and interviewing him across the water with the microphone. On his way to get married. I mean, it was just extraordinary. That is a pinch me moment. That was a pinch me. <laughs> oh do I gosh. really get paid to do this kind of moment? Yes. And it was um, just incredible. Oh, my goodness. So amazing. And what an amazing story you have. So, thank folks, you. again, the book, thank you, is called Something Beautiful Happened, a story of survival and courage in the face of evil. You can get it on Amazon or, as Yvette mentioned, her website. So please grab it. I think the takeaway for this podcast is what are you going to do in that moment? Yeah. What would you do? What would you do? Ask yourself that question and then go to the people that did and find out how they did it. What was their strength in that moment? We can learn so much for folks who did uh, so much so many years ago. Thank you, Yvette. Thank, Thank you, you to our listeners for joining us for this podcast. And until next time, everyone, stay inspired.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.